I literally, that first thing, I threw the pick and then caught it down here. I don't think you noticed that. And I was like, superhuman and yet also a disaster. But we pulled it out, people. Let me put this over here. Yes, there we go. We're going to get into our lesson. Let me clip this guy on. I don't know where to clip it. I'll just clip it right there. We are going to continue. I think this is like part 10. When, when I get to like part 6 of a series, I'm like, this is too long. And yet I remember I told my dad that one time. I'm like, oh, I don't like long series. He's like, he's like man, I did a year on the book of Matthew where it was like a 48 week series I was like wow increase my faith I don't think we're going to do that but uh, we are looking at the book of Ephesians and we are looking uh, it's called mystery because you know life doesn't make sense all the time and even when we read the Bible we want it to be so crystal clear and yet it doesn't like it takes a lot of digging and interpretation sometimes. And so today we're going to continue this lesson and we're going to talk about a very, uh, very interesting uh, set of scriptures. The title of our lesson is Households. Now, if you were to say, Ben, what is, what is your favorite thing to preach on in the book of Ephesians? This would be at the bottom of the list. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm just going to be honest. I'm a little nervous preaching this message. Because there is some stuff in this section of scripture that some would call controversial. Some would say uh, very easily to cause disputes or disagreements. And I'm going to try to keep it to a half hour, guys, but I... There's no way, there's no possible way that we could really dig into the scripture and pull out every ounce of truth out of this. And not only just the truth, but how it applies to you in your life. And so all I'm going to say is, if at the end of this sermon you're like, I've got issues with what Ben said, please come talk to me. And we can have a much longer, more nuanced conversation about any of this stuff. And, you'll, and if you're like, I don't know what he's talking about. He's putting a lot of fine print up front on this one. Well, let's dig in. We're going to read this section first, and then we'll break it down. Ephesians 5, 21 through 6, 9. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of, the, of his wife, head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless." In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, 
No one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Overwhelm is another translation. Instead, bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. See why? This is like at the bottom of the list of things that I would really love to preach about. And so we're going to break this down. We're going to talk about this section. And again, I don't have time to like fully contextualize every like caveat here. But I'm going to, just, I just want to let you guys know, when I read a scripture as a preacher, like I'm putting together a sermon, it's not just like, what's the truth about the scripture, and can I show the, the, the church how smart I am about how much I read my Bible. It's that I think about you. I think about like, well, what do you, what does the church need as I'm preaching this? And so we could talk about all the context of this, but what I'm really trying to get at is like, well, what can be helpful? What can be helpful to you as the Grand Rapids Church of Christ? Amen? My first point is this. It's a German proverb. It is, sweep in front of your own door. This is a German proverb, which pretty much means, mind your own business. If it's none of your business, stop butting your nose into it. Sweep in front of your own door. Now, why, why would I start with this? Guys, this verse, this passage, has been misused over the millennia to put people in their place. And other than the call to make Jesus Lord of our life, That's not really Jesus' ever goal. Jesus never goes around and wants to put people in their place other than the blanket statement of, make me king of your life. And yet this verse, because it mentions specific groups of people and then gives them specific advice, we can like start slinging it around in some unhealthy ways. And so I want to look at the groups of people in this verse 
and what they were told by Paul. And we could talk about how, like, well, this is to the Ephesian church, this isn't to us today. I'm going to try to avoid all of that, but if you want to talk to me, we can talk later. But here's the groups of people, okay? It starts with, oops, that's weird. It starts with everyone. Literally, the first thing is a blanket statement for everyone. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's a good, that's a good piece of advice to all Christians. And it says it in multiple places, in multiple ways. Let me see if I can get this thing to work. It says to wives, submit to and respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wife sacrificially. And I put that in there specifically because it talks about Jesus dying for the church. And I would be like, husbands, are you loving your wife that sacrificially? It talks about uh, children, obey your parents. Talks about fathers. Don't overwhelm your kids. Don't exasperate your children. Doesn't mention mothers. Then it gets into slaves and masters. We're going to talk about this. But it says, slaves, you should obey your master and serve wholeheartedly. And masters, a weird, a weird statement. Treat them the same way or do the same thing. And, and theologians don't really know exactly what that means. But it says, don't threaten them. And what's awesome about this scripture is that almost everything it, that it says to a specific per, group of people in here, the Bible also commands all Christians to do that elsewhere in the, in the New Testament. For instance, it says, wives, submit to and respect your husbands. But it literally just got finished saying that everybody should sh- submit to everyone out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It also says, wives, you should respect your husbands. But in 1 Peter 2, it tell, says to show proper respect to everyone. And in 1 Peter 3, it says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. It says, Husbands, love your wife. Now, does that mean the wives are like, sweet, I don't have to love my husband because Paul didn't say it in this verse. No, obviously, Jesus told a new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, you ought to love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We'll skip over the children and the father's thing, but then it gets to slaves and masters, and it tells slaves to obey your master and serve them wholeheartedly. But in Romans, Romans 13.5, talks about Christians need to submit to the authorities. Every one of you is under authority on some level. You need to submit to that. It's not just people in that class or that state. Masters, it says, hey, treat them, don't threaten them. But it tells everybody in Ephesians 4 too, be completely humble and gentle. Just, we read that just like a couple weeks ago. Be completely humble and gentle. Everybody. If you're a disciple of Jesus... It's like if you're a disciple of Jesus, you have to obey all of these. And yet, the craziest thing happens, guys, in, our, in Christianity. Is that when Paul says, hey, wives, you have to do this, it's like all the husbands are like, yeah, you have to do that. And we forget the other verses that tells us to do that too. 
And so here's a story. I got this picture of these two kids, hopefully. Uh, these two kids fighting. When I was a kid, me and my brothers fought all the time. And one of us would eventually like push it a little further and like get hurt. We'd go and rat, rat out the, our brother to my mom. And so like I remember in the back seat of the car, he's like, Mom, he hit me. And my mom would be like, Luke, you know, say sorry. And I would be like, you have to say sorry to me. Like, say sorry. And Luke is like, I would rather die than say sorry to you right now. <laughs> I'm like, Mom told you to say, star- say sorry. And I'm like, Mom, Luke's not saying sorry to me. I'm like, Luke, say sorry. And he's like, not doing it. And then my mom would eventually like, Ben, give your brother a hug. And Luke would be like, give me a hug. I'd be like, I will punch you in the face. I'm not giving you a hug. But this is what we do, right? Mom, like, you're, we're fighting, we're angry, there's hostility, and we're telling the other person what they should do. Mom told you to be nice to me. No, mom told you to be nice to me. Mom says, say sorry. And guys, we do this in Christianity. <laughs> we're like, Paul told you to respect me. And she's like, Paul told you to love me. And it's silly when we're clearly told in multiple places to respect everyone and to love everyone. And so all I want to say with this, is, this, is, this is why my point is sweep in front of your, your own door. When I read that list of things, I don't, I don't focus on the things for the wives because I, that's not me. I focus on the things for the husbands and I focus on the things for the dads. Because that's, that's what Paul is encouraging someone in my position to do. And I would encourage all of us, when we read the Bible, let us not read the Bible with how other people need to act. Let's focus on, what is the Bible telling me I need to do to grow and change? And so, here's a funny quote I found. <laughs> Don't worry about what I'm doing. Worry about why you're worried about what I'm doing. <laughs> a little aggressive I get it but it proves a point guys we need to be completely humble and gentle bearing with one another in love and if we walk around just noticing in the fellowship I'm talking about in church I'm not talking about like we shouldn't do this either but I can understand if you're like man the world is lost and people are trapped in a slavery to sin and it's bad and you see that you see through that lens and you're like man this person is like you know, addicted to this and given into this and all that stuff. Like, I get it. But then don't do that in church when you're like, oh, man, I'm going to ignore what the Bible's telling me and I'm going to point out what the Bible is telling you. It's almost like Jesus gave us a saying specifically about that. Something about like a speck in your eye and a plank in someone else's eye. Let us plank in my eye and a speck in someone else's eye. Let us not do that. So I just have this question for us. Do I worry more about what other people should do than what my heart needs? I want us to be a people that goes to the Scriptures and humbly submits to the Scriptures. 
But you know what will undercut someone's ability to humbly submit to the scriptures? Is someone else tisk tisk tisking them and telling them that they're not doing a good job at it. And if you're if you walk around and you're like, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to do, I can guarantee you, you're actively promoting pride in their heart to not do the thing that you're asking them to do. So when I read this scripture, I don't want to make the mistake of swinging it around, weaponizing it like like Christendom has done for the last 2,000 years. I want us to be humble. Now, does that mean that there are some things that you probably should pull from this scripture? Yep, there are. And so, husbands, I'm going to ask you, when you read this, do you jump to the wives and be like, yeah, my wife should do this for me? Or do you, have you really sat down and dug in to what it means to love your wife the same way that Jesus loved the church? Giving up his life, sacrificing, denying his flesh for his entire life, and then dying for her. I would hate it if our husbands in this, in this room read Ephesians and only focus on what their wives should be doing. And wives, I'm, I'm, it's, it's the same thing. What Paul says to the wives is wise. It's said to all Christians in other places of the Bible too. But can you be a good example of respect and submission? And beyond that, I'm not going to like keep drilling that down. Amen? Here, here's, the, here's my next point. And this is, this is hard. This is hard to understand. The title of this point is Hierarchy of Equals. And that seems like a contradictory statement. It seems like, well, if you have a hierarchy, then you're not equals. And this phrase has been used, um, you know, I've seen it used in like other countries and throughout history, but, but I loved using this idea when it comes to the way Christians in the first century saw how they can reform their households to shine the love of Jesus into the world. And so... I, got, I found this quote, which was really cool, by Andrew Wilson. The New Testament mentions equality once or twice. But when it comes to social relationships, it is far more interested in concepts like oneness, commonness, partnership, union, and joint inheritance. If you make all those passages about equality, you actually flatten their meaning. And in any case, it becomes a blunderbuss word that means everything and nothing. And we have, we have a love affair and kind of an unhealthy relationship in modern era with the word equality. And so we read the Bible where equality isn't lauded the same way we think about it now. And we're like, mm, what's, wrong with the, what's wrong with the Bible? So we read about slaves and masters, and we're like, what? Why didn't, why didn't Paul or even Jesus just say, hey guys, this is bad, don't do it anymore? And again, like I said, we don't have time to really pull apart every facet of that, but I want to look at the scripture. This is what it said. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity and heart, 
just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Now, Paul accepted the hierarchy of the day. And I'm just going to take a little side note. If you, if you don't know this already, please listen to me. When we read about slavery in the New Testament, we are not reading about the same thing like slavery in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s. It's very, very different. And honestly, we read in the Bible about slaves who ran their master's household. We read about slaves who their masters sent to conduct business for them. And then we know what happened with the institution, North Atlantic slave trade and all of that. But what we see here, when I read about New Testament slave-master situations, it's almost like an employee-employer relationship. And I don't want to diminish slavery, because it's not like I'm saying, hey, this sounds great, let's do this again. But I can can guarantee you this. If a first-century Christian came and was like, hey, who's who's your master? You'd be like, I don't have a master. But then, at dinner time, your boss calls, and you pick up the phone, he says, hey, I need you to work on this weekend. And you're like, yes, sir. <laughs> you're like, so how did you afford this? Well, he paid me. It's like, oh, okay. Well, it looks like a master to me. <laughs> so we can like dress it up and be like, no, I have freedom. But then honestly, and I've heard this argument, to a, to a first century slave, it might be like, so your boss... They're not your master. Um, so, like, if you got in trouble, would they come to your rescue? Like, no, my boss would fire me in an instant and throw me under the bus. Like, well, that doesn't sound very nice. So I'm just saying, contextually, and culturally, and historically, there's a huge difference. But you could read this and actually pull out some very interesting practicals for your life just by trading those words for employee and employer. And they might inform you with how you should conduct yourself at your place of work. But we read it and we're like, slaves, ugh, has nothing to do with me. But the principles are actually pretty good for you as a worker at a company or whatever. But here's what's crazy. What Paul sets up here is, hey, there's a structure. And throughout the New Testament, we see an acceptance of the hierarchy of the day, whether it's governing officials, whether it's rulers uh, and subjects, whether it's masters and slaves, whether it's family. We see a, high, a hierarchy. And yet, what Jesus does and what Paul does is say, we can have a hierarchy of equals. You can exist in a hierarchy, and yet no one is superior, and no one is inferior. And I'm just... What might be happening in your brain right now might be saying, like, I don't know how that works. Because we like power, 
And when we are in a position like a, where we're serving in some way, and we're like, I'm over you, it puffs us up. Like I'm better than you, or I'm worth more, or I'm more spiritual than you are. But what Paul is saying to the slaves and the masters is, he tells the slaves, uh, you're not slaves of this person, you are slaves of Christ. And then he tells the masters, you know that he is both their master and your master. Now, if you were, if you were in a first century household where you had servants, and someone says, hey, you're, you're just like them. They're a slave, you're a slave, and you need to live as, bo- as though you're both slaves. That would take some getting used to. That would be countercultural. But I love the phrase when Paul puts this in here, doing the will of blah, 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 when their eyes on you, but as slaves of Christ. Your English translation may not have this clearly uh, put out like this, but throughout the New Testament, apostles wore the, the label slave of Christ as a badge of honor. Now, in a lot of English translations, uh, it might say servant, but the Greek word is doulos, literally means slave, owned, having no rights. Paul calls himself slave of Christ. James, James, brother of Jesus, James, slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow slave. Peter, John, Tychicus, and Jude all boasted in the fact, I am a slave of Christ. And and we need to have the same mindset. That's the mindset of lordship, that Jesus is Lord of my life. I'm humble. I'm nothing. And so I, I love this quote. For those who are business owners, employers, or supervisors, Paul's teaching is simple and clear. Do the same. You are to treat them with the same sincerity of heart, generosity, and goodwill that you expect them to offer you. And so, we want to either discard hierarchy for equality, which the Bible doesn't do, or when we're in a position of power, we want to discard equality because the hierarchy benefits us, which the Bible tells us not to do. How can we be completely humble and gentle But we don't like, we're like, man, I don't like, so are you over me? Nope. But how can we respect structure and order and system and whatever without turning it into a power struggle for who's better or worse? And so, I don't got a question, I just got a statement for us. Roles of service has nothing to do with superiority. And whether this is in church or whether this is in your home, whether this is at work, but I'm going to come back to church. If you are like, man, I want to do more because I think that that will make me like look better in the eyes of people, then you're at the wrong church, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> this, that's, that's the mistake of 
Ananias and Sapphira. They were like, I want to I look more spiritual. But does that mean we need to discard roles and roles of service and ways that people can help, ways that people can lay down lives? No. There's things that we can do to help one another, build one another up, and serve one another. And sometimes that's going to look like structure. And if, but we can't throw away structure for this utopia of equality. I hope that makes sense. Again, please, we can talk more if you want. But, but let's get to the, and we're almost done, I'm sorry. But, but why is this even in the Bible? Why would Paul even want to have this like, long section with all of this weird stuff that 2,000 years from now people are just going to fight over? Well, my last point is you've got to start at home. Here's the list again. This is why the, the lesson is called Households today. Paul is talking to a church, first century Christians, and you'll notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, overthrow the government. He doesn't say, fight back and like win in the public space. He says, in your house, this is, what, this is what it should look like. And I, I listened to a really great lecture a couple years ago about how this was starting in the home and having Christian households radiate the love of Jesus out was the evangelism strategy of the day. Now, sure, there were missionaries and apostles who would like go around and missionary trips. And, and yet what they were doing was trying to get people to start at home. Love your wife. Love your kids. Love your husband. If, you're, if you own slaves, love them. Slaves. If, you're, if, you're a, if you are a slave, you can radiate the love of Jesus out. And it's amazing But we, but it's hard. It's hard because it requires so much consistency, so much humility, so much time, so much energy of like, I'm going to start in my house. I'm going to show people the love of Jesus. But when we look throughout the scriptures, we see, we see things like this. I love when Jesus heals the leper. The leper, the leper comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand, touched the man. I am willing, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And then Jesus said, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest. Offer the gift of Mo the Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And I think we could learn a lot from this simple statement. Don't tell people, show people. I love this in 2 Corinthians. Now this is 2 Corinthians, after Paul rebukes the church and they repent, then we get this beautiful letter of like, where Paul's like, hey, I know... You know, you saw, you had godly sorrow and it's awesome. But then he says this. Do we need like some people letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter. 
written on our hearts, known and read by everyone, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. But could someone say that about the way way of life? That I show that I am like a letter from Christ and the result of good ministry? Or do I just want to say all the right things? We, ha- we can get into, like, apologetics. And I love apologetics. If you want to, like, dig into, like, proofs and, you know, ways to, like, really build your faith about the gospel, it's great. But apologetics came much later in the church. Early, you know, first century, even second century, in, and they just didn't care to, like, debate and argue They were like, I'm just going to be transformed and live a transformed life. Why don't you come to my house and see how I treat my wife and my kids and my employees, my servants. And the growth of Christianity was kind of amazing because it started so slow and so small. This is population in millions. And it's like for the first hundred years, it, it doesn't seem like anything was happening. Because a million's a big number. Now, all of this growth is before Christianity became the national religion of Rome. That was 313, the Edict of Milan, I think, Constantine. And, And it was just show people the love of Jesus. Tell people what, what Jesus did for you. And now we want to like have all these great ideas for systems and whatnot. But, but Paul is saying, and this is why I love this section of Scripture. Paul's like, if we focus on the people in our nearest sphere of influence and love those people with the love of Jesus, we can change the world. But it's easy to think, well, that's too hard. We could establish a Christian nation. And that's what they did. And a lot of people think that that actually wasn't good for Christianity. So here's just my... I I believe the scripture's in there because Paul is painting a picture of a completely countercultural way of living. He's like, this is, this is how the world is structured where husbands are like this and wives are like this and children are like this and slaves are like this and masters are like this, dads are like this, and we're going to do it very, very different. And then I'm going to trust that when people interact with us on that level, they will be blown away. And so this is the power of your individual testimony. Who were you when you were a slave to sin? What did that look like? It wasn't pretty for most of us. And then what did Jesus do to redeem you out of that? And then how can you live forward in that redeemed state showing people the love of Jesus? It's awesome. But it also takes a lot of work, a lot of diligence, a lot of consistency in the home. 
a lot of humility, a lot of submission. And so sometimes we can put on the church face here, but then at home it doesn't look like it doesn't look it doesn't look like this. And so all I'm going to wrap this up. We're going to pray and, and have communion. Like I said, this is a very, this is a very like uncomfortable scripture in our modern era to read about husbands and wives and slaves and masters. But when I when I read it, I see a, a group of people that are completely subverting the government, which is kind of cool. I see a group of people that are completely countercultural, which is kind of cool. And I think that we can still be as countercultural, as subversive today by starting at home, embracing a, a life of transformation, and then treating the people that we see every day, treating the people that are closest to us with respect with submission, with love, with gentleness, with humility. And yet, we'll find ourselves needing some structure. Someone said, hey, I want to help the church. I'm like, well, that's, now, now you're going to fill a slot in the church. And, and then we're going to ask people to follow you. That doesn't mean you're better than anyone. And if you feel like, I don't want any structure, well, the church can't operate that way. Your house can't operate that way. The people that pay you your paycheck, they can't operate that way. And so, we can't throw away hierarchy, but we also have to really learn how to love each other as precious children of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, and then we will take communion. God, thank you for this verse, these passages.